And hello, everyone, and welcome to episode eight of the Trick or Treaters podcast. I am your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by JR. And today we are joined by our very special friend and one half of the Scream Queens, Cece. Hey How's guys. everyone doing today? Good. JR? I'm doing wonderful. You know, as we're recording, um, I'm, I'm glad that all three of us are together because as each of us represent who I like to think of are the three biggest horror icons. Kyle, you're a big Jason guy. CC, yeah. you're a big Freddy girl. I'm a big Michael guy, Michael Myers guy. So I, I think you know, we have a very interesting dynamic that we bring to the table because to me, these are the, you know, the three biggest horror icons of, you know, especially in the slasher genre. And we're talking about one of my favorite films, CC, and all of us favorite film, Nightmare. So, uh, I mean, I can't wait. And, and when Kyle and I started talking about this, you know, doing Nightmare, I said, we got to bring CC in because she's the Nightmare girl. Like, she's Freddy's <laughs> girl. Like, we need her. And what's funny about that is that me and Cece had already talked about bringing her on and, and had this all down pat. And then you were like, you messaged me like, hey, we should bring Cece. And I was like, oh, well, th- that's already in the plan. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, obviously we all do this because we have a passion for horror. But, when you know, I think what stands out, especially if I was, you know, for myself, the three first horror films I saw, or like, or at least, you know, films was it was uh, Friday halloween and nightmare yeah you know those were you know really the you know you look at what kind of set the 80s apart it was those three i know you know and that's no disrespect to a movie like texas chainsaw massacre with leatherface but i really feel that you know what reinvented and what reinvigorated the horror genre were were these three icons and i think wherever you go i think you're going to see more fans of these three horror icons than any anybody else whether it's leatherface whether it's Chucky, um, or you know anybody else that's out there, you know the the scream, the scream mask, um, uh, gotcha. Ghostface. Yes, thank you. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm excited. You know, we you know for us to get into this. If this is one of your favorites. Well, we're talking about the 2010 remake of a Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Oh God. <laughs> there, 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 I forgot. Oh. I gotta find this article. I'm leaving. Um, I was gonna send it to I was gonna send it to CC because I felt this article was personally made to attack CC because instead of why uh, why Nightmare on Elm Street remake is good and uh, haters need to stop hating. I mean, you can send it to me. I will go into it with an open mind reading the article, but I'm telling you right now, it's probably not gonna change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, oh, I, I had to do that <laughs> for me I was, you know because obviously we're talking about the original 1984 film with robert england you know who's as much as i love michael but there's no, you can't take away how charismatic robert england is as Freddy krueger i yeah. think that's one of the things is 
when I look at the 2010 film, it's it doesn't capture that charismatic character that Robert England brings to Freddy in the 2010 re, uh, remake. And I think that's why, for me at least, that was a letdown and why I, you know, I think eventually down the road when we start looking at, you know, covering more films, we'll eventually have to cover the remake. But I mean, it's just, it's night and day when you look at how great Robert England is um, in the original versus the remake in 2010. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's not really like a knock on, you know, the guy who played Freddy because it was just more on, you know, that the writing of that movie, that, that script was just awful. Not only that, just the CGI makeup. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Horrible. They definitely should have went a more practical route to that. And that was um that was Jacob Earl Haley was his yeah. name who also yeah. plays Warshak in uh yeah what's that movie what's that film called Watchmen Watchmen yes thank you um yep. it's funny I remember his name but I don't remember the movie but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right we're recording this episode on Halloween I, I know this won't drop until next Friday but still we want to say Happy Halloween everyone I hope everyone's having a good day does any of y'all have any Halloween plans tonight? Not really. Uh, Teddy and I might just hang out together and watch horror movies. Uh, I think we might watch like some classic Halloween movies. So maybe Halloween, maybe trick or treat. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe. We actually have to catch up on the uh, the Jason movie. So we might actually just do that. Yep. I got I got to do that, too. I got to rewatch uh, all of them and really figure out my rankings, because like w- with Jason, it's like I know my first like two or three, like my favorite. And I know the one I hate the most. And now I've got to figure out the middle. Yeah, the, the middle. It, it's just the middle isn't very permanent position to me. It, it kind of switches in and out. It depends on really like what I'm in the mood to watch that day. Right. I think that's kind of what Brian said in his post. <laughs> so he's kind yeah. of like that too. <laughs> yeah. But like, I know the first three, and I know the one I hate the most, and then it's just intertwining <laughs> the other ones. Yeah. Jared, how about you? Um, Actually, today is my aunt's birthday. As we were on Halloween, she was born on Halloween. And uh, as my dad Welcome. said, he goes, I thought I was getting a treat for Halloween and I'm getting tricked. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I'm definitely, I got to stop by and visit her. Also, you know, as for those who don't know, uh, besides horror, I'm also a big wrestling and MMA fan. And today um, is potentially the last fight of one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time, Anderson, the Spider Silva, which is actually kind of funny that the Spider's fighting on Halloween. So yeah. you have to catch that. Um, but that's my plans for Halloween. You know, I don't. Okay. I will also say this um, for if you for those of you who haven't seen it. Um, Two weeks ago, the new season of The Connors, which was the spinoff of Roseanne, uh, the season premiere started and they're covering it basically started with the pandemic. And just in general, if people really are not sure how the pandemic is affecting individuals, economy, though, that episode, the first season of uh, the new one, I think does a good job capturing, you know, hardworking, you know, blue, you know, blue collar people who are really suffering right now because of the economy and losing jobs. Um, I think it really gave a, a, a good portrayal because I know a lot of individuals who are hurting because of, you know, lost wages and stuff like that. But the second episode was Halloween during COVID. And they had two of the, the grandchildren. They're like, oh, this is their, their Halloween COVID costumes. And one of them was like basically like a 
like a living dead nurse but that was like a doll and they put like a box around her with like plastic to like look like it was like a doll in a box and then the other grandchild was a gumball machine that was essentially like a plastic gumball machine they're like these are covid proof so you can go trick-or-treating and i just thought that was kind of funny because when people talked about like you know can we still do trick-or-treating and i'm i think i'm of the opinion that you know halloween because you wear masks and gloves and stuff like that that if you do it you know social distance social distancing wearing masks and you know have hand sanitizer if you wear gloves i i think you know theoretically you could be able to do you know trick-or-treating um you know obviously if you don't feel good people don't feel comfortable i completely respect but you know don't you know we gotta do stuff for the kids yeah and that's yeah. you know halloween is about the children and i think you know just and oh one of the things they did in the show too was they actually did trick-or-treating inside of the house so they went to each door and got treats oh wow so i thought that was also cool yeah it's a pretty neat little concept i like that yeah, i agree with you i think like out of honestly out of every holiday uh, during this pandemic i think halloween would probably be the safest i mean if you're if you're going to give out candy i think you could you know, beat your door you see the kids coming up you know just put the the bowl down and you go back inside your house and you know the kids can one by one go up and you know grab a piece of candy or something yeah or if you're from like a, a type of a household in those older houses where you may have uh, a mouse slot on the door yeah that's true that's oh, true yeah that's cool um that's you know obviously you know that's my biggest thing you know for me you know, i think all of us as grown-ups you know we we endure we we deal with it you know through you know the, the issues of you know like i said because of the pandemic and because of the economy but at the end of the day the most important thing is for me is is children and try to keep some some sense of normalcy in their lives because they don't they don't know how to deal with these you know with these uh these these difficult times not like that we know how to do better but we're adults like that's our job is to like endure a child's job is to be a child yeah so um that's why i look at especially like i have a niece and nephew who are like right at that age where they're already you know going to step away from they're turning you know becoming into preteen soon so they're probably going to stop trick-or-treating in the next few years and um and i just i think of them you know i don't have kids so i just i want to do things that i figure out like what can we do that's normal for them or try to maintain that so if that's what it was it was like we're gonna go you know do trick-or-treating where they knock on each door and get candy then so be it you know i just that's my thing is like we gotta just take care of the children yeah yeah i agree and and, and you gotta keep the you know the halloween spirit alive but I, I like I don't know about y'all, but it's like, you know, Halloween's my favorite holiday of all time. And it seems like almost every year it's slowly dying. Like I've noticed that less and less people put out decorations and less and less people are are doing trick-or-treating or anything. Yeah. I don't know if it's because, like, I'm getting older. I'm not realizing it. Um I mean, like in our apartment complex, we never really get anybody, but I know it's usually like in neighborhoods more. So I think this year is going to be a big difference. Uh, I don't think a lot of people are going to be doing it this year at all. But um, remember those little long trick or treat bags with like the skull hand and stuff? Those would be dope for this year because like there's enough distance. Like, (laughs) 
yeah. between you and like the person's putting the candy in there. Like, I just thought that was cute. I saw that somewhere, but, um, yeah. Unfortunately, I, yeah, I think a lot of people just, I don't know what it is, but, um, but Christmas, I feel like is like always around, but I feel like yeah. Halloween just gets thrown under the rug and it's my favorite holiday too. So. I had actually were talking to my sister because I was asking what she was going to do for, you know, my niece and nephew for Halloween. And one of the um, things she had said was like going to the store, there was less like there was less items out there. So it seemed like distributors, manufacturers um, were sending out less everything from like Halloween, you know, cupcakes, Halloween treats to costumes, decorations. And I think the reason is because of the pandemic. The, the last thing they would want is that they're, you know, send out all this materials, uh, whether it's a costume or, you know, pre-manufactured, you know, cupcakes, uh, you know, like um, that you would get like at a at a Costco or something like that, Sam's yeah. Club. And then you can't sell it. So <clears> now <throat> you end up you having to toss the items or you have to sell it at a discount and then lose money. And I think a lot of this may have potentially started um, because of back to school. Because essentially with, you know, like back to school shopping, you know, with if students weren't, you know, having to go to school and they weren't buying, you know, supplies because everything was done through, you know, through computers now, they had all this back to school stuff that they couldn't move. And, grant you know, those are non-perishable items, you know, whether it's pens, pencils, stuff like that. And you, um, and you can save it for next year, those distributors and manufacturers but for stuff like halloween especially perishable items like treats you know cupcakes and cookies if you don't you know if you don't sell it you gotta throw it away and i think that probably potentially would scare people especially like your targets and walmarts where if they don't sell those those holiday decorations they sell it at a discount and lose money yeah, yeah. But, that's, smart. that's smart business anyway but you're right though like i mean there's times where we get to um, like September, and I'll see Halloween and Christmas stuff at the same time. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think that you know, and then it's even goes worse than that, where you get to January and you're seeing, say, Valentine's Day stuff as well as Easter stuff. Yeah, and that's you know that's consumerism and and you know business that's kind of not allowing us to enjoy a holiday at a time because they're so eager to get the you know a jump start on sales. Yeah. Yeah, I just get real, real heated about it because I just I don't feel like Halloween gets, you know, the spotlight it deserves, uh, especially in the, in the mainstream now. I agree. But but, you know, that's one of the joys of being horror fans. We pretty much live in an endless October. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> legit, like I. I I know there's like I look on Facebook and I just see all these other people. Like, oh, I'm watching this movie. I haven't watched a scary movie in so long. I'm like. I literally watch a scary movie at least I would say maybe once a day, but that's not yeah. realistically true. It's probably more like you know three at uh, four out of you know seven days a week. So like I'm in a constant state of horror movies. Yeah, that's how it is on like on every streaming service. My watch list is is a majority of horror. There might be a comedy here and there, yeah. but it's mostly horror. And then I pretty much stay on Shutter. Before we get into the uh, the review we got a couple of news topics to go over so today's news is sponsored by carmen shoulders avtech.com carmen's one of my good friends he just has 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 a wonderful service pretty much will work with any budget provides amazing sound he's he edits our our podcast and does a wonderful job and just want to give him a shout out all right well 
So the first news topics, there's a new Children of the Corn movie. I'll be honest, I had no idea there was even a new Children of the Corn movie being made until I, I read this news. And apparently it just got a poster art release and it's getting a very limited theatrical release. And apparently it's being directed by Current Wimmer. Uh, I, I'm really not too familiar with, with his stuff, but and I, I was really shocked that there was a new Children of the Corn uh I don't know if if any of y'all are fans of it. Uh, I've seen I've seen pretty much all of them. Uh, I like the first one, and there's a couple sequels. Uh, I don't mind. I mean, I've seen the original uh, within the last couple of years. Actually, it was my first time seeing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a creepy ass movie. Fair to be fair. It really is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if. I'm looking at the the poster right now. It looks interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, it could take it could it could be good. I I just yep. honestly don't know because it it just all depends on how they're gonna go with it, you know. So. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I've always liked uh I I like I guess I like the original and like uh my family of uh, like especially my mom she's a huge Stephen King fan and so she always likes Children of the Corn. And when my sister had her most recent child, uh, there was thinking of names. And so mom actually gave her the idea to name my, my most recent nephew uh, uh, Malachi after uh, one of the, the characters in Children of the Corn. So his name is Malachi. And he's also uh, named after another Stephen King character, uh, Gage, from uh, Pet Cemetery. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah, Mal- uh, yeah, Malachi Gage. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's so cool. I love when like people use like I know it sounds cheesy, but I actually love when people use like pop culture uh, yeah. names. To be to be fair, like all my all my cats are pretty much named after like weird stuff. So like wrestlers and all kinds of weird shit. So yeah. <laughs> In other news, so like one of my favorite werewolf. I think it's a trilogy. I know there's two. I think there's three. Uh, Ginger Snaps is getting a, a television series, actually. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, it's being produced by John Fawcett, who was the co-creator and the director of the original film. Okay. Yeah, and uh, as far from what I've read of it, it looks like it's pretty much going to be based on the original Two Sisters. Are the actresses coming back? Oh, uh, or is it going to be like a uh, younger, like new actors playing their younger selves again or something? I think it's going to be new actors. Uh, I'm, I'm reading up on it now. I don't I mean, think that makes sense. Yeah. If they're going to, yeah, I don't yeah. see like a cat. I don't see uh, like a cat. It'd be kind of cool. They had like a cameo though in it or something. Oh, I yeah. always love that. Yeah. yeah but I'm pretty excited about that. Like ginger snacks has always been like one of my favorite werewolf series. I love the first movie. I never saw yeah. the second one. Um, yeah. I, but, I believe the third one too. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, I love it. Like, um, I grew up kind of watching it. Like, but I, I tried to rewatch it again like a couple years ago, and I like just didn't finish it. I don't know what, just something was going on or whatever. But I need to go back and watch it again. Uh, Daniel Harris is directing an all-female slasher titled sequel with producer J- uh, John Dante. Yes. Anything all female, I'm so stoked for, especially Daniel Harris. So, oh yeah, oh, I'm yeah. good to go. <laughs> yeah, as soon as yeah, as soon as Daniel Harris, I'm like, yep, I'll watch it. I mean, yeah, I I read that yesterday. I think yesterday before, and Daniel Harris is is I think an actress that never got her due. 
Yeah. Like, I feel like she was, she, you know, I don't know if it's because she had started at such a young age, and, you know, that's, a, you know, the whole concept of childhood actor, you know, actors and actresses, like, they, um, you know, I think of guys, you know, characters like Macaulay Culkin or even, like, some of, like, the Harry Potter kids, you know, that they just never can break out of that, you know, the childhood actor into, like, you know, superstardom. But everything everything about her, though, like, her facial expressions from a, a young age and her ability, you know, to gain empathy, at least for me, I'm like, this, she's somebody that should have been, um, I think when, when, you know, from a teenager to a young adult, you know, could have been a, you know, a star. And I just think we just never got her fair shake. And I also even look at, like, she had, I remember cameo roles that she did in, uh, like, Urban Legend. And she was, I remember her being in Boy Meets World um, yeah. for, like, an episode. And I think she was even in Roseanne for a few episodes. But, you know, besides her, you know, a gig that she had for, you know, quite a long time, you know, being a voice for Wild Thornberries, it's just, I think just never came, you know, she never just got her due. So, you know, hopefully, you know, with, with this new uh, opportunity, maybe she can do something, you know, as a uh, behind the scenes to, you know, break out. But oh, yeah. I, I just, I've always been a fan of hers, you know, because of her facial expressions and her you know ability to, to get, you know, I feel like gain empathy, at least, like I said, at least for me, especially looking at Halloween 4. Yeah, I agree. Like, Danielle Harris has always been like one of my favorites. Uh, she was, uh, I, I, I love that Rob Zombie brought her back for for Halloween and, and, and then uh, Halloween 2. You know, she was the main protagonist in Hatchet 2. I can't remember if she was in Hatchet 3 or not. I think I think she was in most of them going forward. I think yeah. but I haven't watched. Yeah, I don't, I don't them think most. she was in Victor Crowley. Oh, okay. Uh, I yeah, think she yeah, was in I, three though. Yeah, I know she's in two. I'm pretty sure she was in three. But yeah. it, it was crazy because like she did such a good job in, in in two that like I only saw her as that role. So that when I went back and watched Hatchet, the entire time uh, before I watched uh, Hatchet again. Mm-hmm. I was thinking in my head, Daniel Harris plays that role. And then I watched Hatchet and I was like, wait, that's not Daniel Harris. I was like, wait a minute. She took over in two. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. You guys going to say um, the other one, when they did the sequel to See No Evil, which was, you know, the horrible WWE movie that starred Kane. Yeah, I was about to, uh, I was about to get into that. Yeah. The sequel, though. Especially with her and the the director, the um, what, what's her name? The the sisters, the Soka sisters, or something like that, that directed it. Yeah, man, I thought they freaking killed it. Yeah, they did such a good job with the sequel, and Daniel Harris being one of the you know one of the stars of it, I just thought was amazing. Yeah. And um, um, I just you talk about freaking you know overperforming, especially you know a predecessor. I mean, it was that was nine day like the and I think she, you know, her, a lot of that success was, you know, for Daniel Harris as well as the sisters. But, yeah, I'm she doesn't get, like I said, enough credit, you know, for for what she can bring to Hollywood. Yeah, like uh, I'm glad you brought that up because, like, I was about to bring that up, too. Yeah. Like if you ever seen Ceno Evil and then you see the sequel, you're, it, it'll blow your mind. That that's the sequel to that movie. 
because she does such a great job and just that that entire movie is so much better than the original uh, when i first got told to watch you know evil 2 i was like I, I don't know about that the first one wasn't really that great and i watched it and i was like wow this is great <laughs> like it, it become like one of my favorite Daniel harris movies as well uh, moving on uh so this this happened just here recently a couple of days ago blumhouse did their own little like virtual convention they showed a it was like it was like maybe 30 seconds like a little teaser trailer for halloween kills and yes it, it looked amazing uh i'm very maybe very excited about it uh, i mean we have to wait another year but still it looked the footage looked great and i, I can't praise like how awesome michael looked with that burnt mask enough it looks so good <laughs> that's 37 seconds of the week yeah oh yeah right 100 <laughs> percent and then, like, they showed, like, his mask is, like, you know, his mask is burnt. Like, I just, yeah. dude, they've done such a great job. Like, you know, I, in the, you know, De- um, our, our friends in Dead in Santa Carla, when they were talking about resurrection, and, and it's true, like, the way the resurrection ended and the direction they were going, I mean, it was heading towards direct-to-DVD land. Yeah. Which is such, I mean, you know, when they said it and, and it, it's like, it's true, which would have sucked. And the fact that they basically, you know, Blumhouse and uh, Danny McBride, like really, you know, gave that film a true resurrection, no pun intended, like from, <laughs> you know, from the dead and, you know, brought back like everything that made the first one so great. And the fact that it gave it that shot, you know, I, and as, as we did in the in screen cranes when we did the rankings, basically Halloween 2018, in my opinion, was uh, is a updated version of Halloween 1978 with a better budget and you know 2018 you know I don't for lack of better word expectations but 2018 resources 2018 you know I, ideology of what goes into a horror film you know, from the kills to the storyline and then seeing the sequel. And even those you know, we basically have only seen like a total combined, like minute uh, of two teasers combined, but just seeing it, I'm like, this is, you know, they're taking that same, um, the same passion that was in the original and just adding, you know, resources and, you know, what, you know, 2020, a 2020 mindset to make it updated. Um, and I just, I think when it comes to next year, you know, and hopefully this whole, you know, by then this whole pandemic is behind us. I I mean, I think movie theaters are going to be freaking jam packed with people. And if it's not just, I'll pay $50 to see it at home. I know, I know they want to do a big theatrical release and I don't blame them, but I was honestly hoping that, that they would do like what other horror movies have done this year and do a, video on demand for Halloween kill so we could watch it this year, but I think it'll be worth the wait. I mean, I don't want to get too far into the weeds into it, you know, cause it's, you know, completely it's, we're deviating from, from horror, but I mean, the thing is yeah. this Hollywood, I'll just use Hollywood as a generic term. They can't sustain pushing movies back. Yeah. You know, it's one, it's one, it's the same thing, not just Hollywood, but it's the same thing. Like I was talking about this, you know, the other day with my father, but same thing with sports, the the you know it's one thing to take that hit for a year because they're taking massive hits yeah but it's an 
and it's they can use that as, as tax write-offs. You know, they even did. I think I even read one time. Sometimes you know Hollywood, um, Hollywood does you know B-rated films, or they do you know films that just to take a, you know because they know they're probably going to take a, a loss. That it's, it's a tax write-off. So essentially, if they lose money this year, you know those are going to be tax write-offs. But to extend that for a whole nother year, I mean, I just there's no way. I mean, it would. I think for two years of no film, no new film releases is not gonna. I think would completely crush Hollywood. I mean, they are gonna have to find a way to do video on demand releases and make and make it profitable, which I think they can because I think you know with Disney Plus and Mulan, it proved that you can do you know on demand release and make it profitable if you have a film that people want to see. Which I think, you know, anything from Black Widow or um, anything from Marvel, anything from, you know, I know Wonder Woman was delayed, you know, and I think especially with Halloween Kills, people are going to pay for it. Whether, I mean, and the thing is, you have, I think Hollywood looks at, which this is going to be bad for movie theaters, but as I say this, when, for me as a consumer, I pay $10 to see a film, you know, $10, $11, $12, depending on what time of the day I go to see a normal film that's not 3D. Plus I got paid somewhere in the vicinity of $20 for popcorn and a soda. So I know I'm paying 30 bucks. So if you're telling me I can see this film from the comfort of my own home, granted, I'm not seeing it on a projection movie theater, but I also don't have to deal with people. And I'll just, and that's you know, on another tangent, people are losing movie etiquette as every year has gone by. Um, I'd rather pay $34 to stay at home I'll make my own damn popcorn. I'll get my own 12 pack of soda <laughs> and I'll watch it on the comfort of my own couch because I don't have to worry about sitting next to people. I don't know. I don't have to worry about people not having movie etiquette. I had a situation one time. My wife was going to beat some dude's ass for answering his phone during the middle of a movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so that's why, like, you know, people, when I said this, you know, I don't know if, um, I think I said this just on Twitter. I'm like, if, if this ends up killing, you know, you know, movie theaters, like, I'm sorry, but like, it's not going to bother me because I'd rather stay at home and watch a film. Like I end up having to go see films on the Wednesday at 10 a.m. in the morning to not be around people because people don't have movie etiquette, um, at least in my neighborhood. I don't know about anybody else's, but like talking, taking pictures, texting. So, um, yeah. So next year, if, if they're like, we still can't do this, like a hey, Blumhouse. Uh, whoever is distributing it, just put it out there on Voodoo or Amazon Prime, and I'll pay thirty-five, forty dollars to watch it. Yeah. yeah. See, I'm the opposite. I, I, I know people are annoying. I can't stand people, so I'm not saying you're not wrong. But I, there's something about the feeling of being in a movie theater for me. Um, I'm a huge movie person, even outside of like horror and. Uh, I don't know what it is. It, the popcorn's better. I, I'm telling you, I can buy any brand of popcorn at home and it does not taste like fucking movie theater popcorn. Oh, no, you're 100% right. I'm not going <laughs> to disagree with you. Like, being in a, you know, a giant, you know, a giant movie theater with surra- Dolby surround sound, you know, perfect picture. Oh, yeah. I made the movie, I made movie theater popcorn before, um, you know, for school, because it's basically it's a popcorn machine. You know, when I was in high school, we made, you know, I sold stuff for, um, sporting events when i wasn't in sports mm-hmm. it you know everything about it is better you know if you go to the right theater it's best it's the best popcorn the best nachos the best soda oh yeah but the thing is uh, I'm, okay we're watching now we're definitely going to the weeds now and it was avengers endgame and there's like a parent oh my god she's gonna die 
Oh my god, no, no, not Hawkeye. Oh no, not Black Widow. And I just wanted to go over and be like, bitch, can you shut up? <laughs> like, we have yes. 250 people in the movie theater who are trying to watch this movie that are that paid, you know, ten to twelve dollars. I can't remember how much it cost. I know it was it wasn't a matinee. But to see this movie plus concessions and you are literally ruining the movie where people cannot enjoy it because you are talking like a moron. And it's, uh, and I've, it's, you know, I, the only time I've never had that issue, honestly, I felt was if I see the very first showing of a star Wars film, because people of star Wars fans are so into it. Like they don't talk, but that's it. Like I had one where I was, took my wife to a movie and there was like four teenagers and they were taking pictures with flash during the middle of the movie. And I got up, I'm like, uh, either stop or leave. <laughs> and they looked at me like I'm a crazy old man. And I'm just like, but like, seriously, guy, like, where did we, where did we go wrong? Like as a kid, I never thought about talking during a movie or, you know, or anything like, you know, because it's a distraction, it's, you know, and it's, Shit, I think my parents would have whooped my ass if I was like being a nuisance during the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's like, and I, like I said, I love movies. Like I, like I would go, you know, before, you know, sometimes, you know, when I was a student, like I remember seeing American Gangster. Like I, I traded in my my textbooks, got the money, and went to see American Gangster, or saw We Are Marshall, or saw you know Rocky Balboa. Like I love going to movie theaters, and you know, especially. I would. I remember I had would do double features. I remember seeing um, Freddy versus Jason, and I can't remember what else. Oh, and Rob Zombie's Halloween came out. I saw Rob Zombie's Halloween, and then right afterwards saw Superbad. Like by myself, I will go by myself. Like it doesn't bother me, but it's just people have people have ruined movie theaters and the enjoyment out of it for me, and that's why. Then I'll end it there because we have more important. Stuff <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I understand completely. <laughs> But so yeah, if you're one of those uh, people, don't stop doing it because you're ruining it for your ruining it for everybody else. <laughs> yep. I'm on the same page with uh, CC. Like uh, I love going to the theaters. It's like one of my absolute favorite things. And honestly, even if I don't have anyone to go with, I, 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 I love going to the movies alone. Like I don't know why. It's just one of my favorite things. Like it, it, it kind of started when I, when I was in college. My first like few semesters there, I would have some really early morning classes, and then I'd have like really late afternoon classes so i would have like a block of like two to three hours where i had nothing to do and usually i'd go to the library one day i decided to just go see a movie uh, during a matinee and all of a sudden i started making that my weekly tradition just just or, or anytime i wanted to go see a movie uh, i'd go see a movie during that and so like it became like a favorite thing of mine just to go see movies oh yeah so i'm i'm, I'm very I, i'm hoping that you know when all this is over we can go back to the theaters because I, I really miss going to theaters so much so much yeah but anyway uh without further ado we're gonna get straight into what we're here for today today oh, we're hold gonna... on hold on Kyle. there's a very very important news piece that you skipped over yeah Uh-oh. i this dropped i believe yesterday oh yes that Clive Barker is oh, coming back yes. to be the executive producer for the new HBO series Hellraiser. Uh, Hellraiser, that's right. Yes, I forgot about the, yes the Hellraiser TV series. And I'm you know Hellraiser you know I didn't want to bring it up but that was what that, our friends Dennis Santa Clara said like you know Hellraiser has started getting to the point where it was the going direct to DVD land, but I have a, a little soft spot in my heart for Hellraiser. 
because uh, when I was in college, my last year of college, and I was waiting, um, me and my wife would carpool, I was waiting for her, and I had an office um, and because I was in, um, I was a student government, I had my own office, and Nef- the only horror films on Netflix at the time was Hellraiser, and I saw all the Hellraisers like essentially over three days going into the Halloween, I think it was Halloween <laughs> 2012, and I, you know, Inferno, um, Hellworld, um, you know, all of them, and I, um, yeah, I, I think this is cool, you know, bringing back Clyde Barker and, you know, doing a series with Hellraiser, and I think there's a lot of interesting areas they can go with it. I, I've seen some films like that. I mean, some not films, but TV series that's been like on NBC or ABC or even cable like USA or TNT or sci-fi. And when you see it, you're just like, uh, you know, this isn't a good fit because of especially if it's a graphic, it doesn't have to be horror, but just like, you know, something like could you imagine a show like The Sopranos on NBC? No. Like, you know, it takes you know, Yeah. And that's the thing is like when you look at horror and, and the one I'll, I'll give a comparison, you know, next year, Chucky, the series is coming out on sci fi and I'm excited for it. But I'm like, is there something that's going to prevent us? from seeing or is there something that's been prevented from being able to do because even though the standards and practices of television has like has essentially like you know they're, they're more lenient now than 20 years ago but is there something that we're not gonna be able to see or there's something they're not be able to do because of being on sci-fi with chucky and then when you see like with hellraiser and hbo it's like the sky's the limit. You could essentially do whatever you want because it's premium television. Yeah. And so that I think is is amazing. Um, you know, with doing Hellraiser on HBO versus Chucky being on Sci-Fi is because those, you know, even though it's lenient, more lenient now, but there is no rules on premium channels like HBO or Showtime for them to do shows. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. Uh... I'm looking forward to it. It should be a pretty good series, uh, hopefully, if everything goes good. Without further delay now, unless I've missed anything, I don't think I've missed anything now, we're going to get into it. The kids of Elm Street don't know it yet, but something is coming to get them. There's something out there, isn't there? We just see cuts happen. What did that, Lieutenant? I don't know. There's a coroner got to say. He's in the jaw and puking since he saw it. They're gonna kill me for sure. Did you do it? There was somebody else there. He was locked in a room with a girl who went in alive and came out in a rubber bag. No one knows where it came from or who it will visit next. Nancy? something wrong with you you're imagining things nightmare on elm street do you believe in the boogeyman no whatever you do don't fall asleep no! she's the only one who can stop it if she fails i'm your boyfriend now nancy no one will survive Craven, director 
of the hills have eyes and last house on the left a new masterpiece in fantasy terror nightmare on elm street uh today we're going to talk about teen west craven's uh 1984 film uh nightmare on elm street uh all three of us love the film i know is one of cc's favorites and one of jr's favorites uh it was it was directed by Wes Craven, of course, produced by Robert Shea. It starred uh, Robert England, John Heather Langenkamp, uh, John Sack, Hanib uh, Blakely, Nick Corey, Amanda Wise. It uh, ended up having a budget of 1.8 million, and the box office made 57. Million. So the budget of 1.8 million was actually made back in in the opening weekend. Wow. Yeah, and uh, uh, New Line Cinema, who was you know one of the production companies behind the movie, it actually gained the nickname "The House That Freddie Built" because this movie pretty much saved them from bankruptcy. We love to see it. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, if you ever like want to like learn a lot about the series, I highly recommend uh, on on it's on Shutter right now. There's a documentary called "Never Sleep Again: The Elm Street Legacy," and it just goes over the entire. Uh, not not Elm Street franchise, and it, you really learn a lot about everything behind the scenes. Oh yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot about it. Uh, I just haven't gotten around to watching it because it is a bit long, uh, as well as the uh, Crystal Lake Memories. I want to watch that too. Yeah, yeah, this one's four hours, and Crystal Lake Memories is seven, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw um, most of the Never Sleep Again. And yeah. To me, the interesting part is is the very beginning where they talk about how the concept was was for Nightmare was created. Yeah. Um, also, the you know essentially the the freedom that was like you know that Wes Craven was trying to get versus you know Lunalight Cinema, the producers, how you know Wes Craven had to give up you know some some of the uh, I think the intellectual properties in order to get more funding for it. Um, there's a lot of interesting stuff that goes into it. And then when you find out essentially, you know, the, the magic that was created with nightmare and how it saved new line cinema from going under, yeah. um, is, you know, it's pretty amazing, you know, and that's really, you know, in some ways, you know, shows what could happen in Hollywood. If you hit a home run, you know, one film could completely change, you know, the outlook for your business. I mean, as, and then from there, you know, they end up, you know, years later, end up getting the rights to, um, you know, Jason. And then, I mean, there's other movies of New Line. I, one of the movies I loved growing up as a kid watching was um, was Friday with Ice Cube and Chris Tucker. And then you look at other films they had, Rush Hour, Sex yeah. and the City, Lord of the Rings, Austin Powers, The Mask. Like, could you imagine if they would have went under, if were these, were these films ever would have been made? Like, that's crazy when you know, think of that. That's true. I mean, for, for, I mean, for Freddy Krueger could you know, essentially have been the reason why we got such great films if they wouldn't have never made this movie, or if this movie would have you know not had the success it had. I'm glad you mentioned the idea behind the movie. So like, I'm sure like everybody knows the story, but Wes Craven basically said that he had read this. The story is based off of uh, he had read a series of news articles about about refugees who had came from, I believe it was Indonesia, uh, came over to the U S and these, these guys were having, uh, were having nightmares and, uh, they were refusing to sleep. Uh, one even went in as much as, uh, 
uh, the, the people uh, when that he ended up dying, like he had a nightmare, and he told people that if he went to bed again, that if he went to sleep again, that he wouldn't wake up, and he ended up dying in his sleep, and they ended up finding. Uh, sleeping pills that uh, that that these people had been given that they had been stuffing in their mattresses to not take, and one even even went as far as he had a, a Mister Coffee machine with an extra extension cord hidden in his closet. Wow. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about it. I I didn't hear it to that extent, but that's just yeah. wild. Yeah, it's it, it's an insane story. It really makes you think. You know, you know, why were they so scared to sleep? Like. You know, was there something essentially like Freddy Krueger attacking them in their nightmares? I think it's incredible that he took that and kind of just yeah. made this character out of that. That's so cool. Oh yeah, and and you know, you know, before this movie, you know, Wes Craven had success with uh, he had he he did uh, he did Last House on the Left and The, the Hills Have Eyes. Okay, yeah. What's also uh interesting is that this is actually the film debut of Johnny Depp. And uh, he actually uh, there was actually a ton of different actors who uh, who tried out who wanted his role, including like Charlie Sheen. But he was asking for like three thousand dollars a week so that they couldn't really afford him. But it was like Charlie Sheen, Brad Pitt and a bunch of other people. And essentially what got him the role was he uh, Wes Craven couldn't figure out like who he wanted to cast as Glenn. So he asked his daughter and his daughter said to pick Johnny Depp because he was dreamy. <laughs> I yeah. love that. And it's awesome that you're on this episode, CZ, because he was on our Scream episode. But because of Johnny Depp getting this role, uh, that was one of the inspirations for why Wes Craven cast uh, Skeet Ulrich as, uh, uh, in, in Scream uh, because he reminded him a lot of Johnny Depp. Yeah, yeah, I remember you touching on that before too, and I always think about too um, his his crop top, uh, jersey yeah. crop top, because Tatum yeah. wears almost the same thing in Scream. Yeah, yeah I love that. <laughs> it's such an '80s look to, for a guy to wear a crop top jersey. Like, a, you know, crop tops are really, um, I think, especially more in college football, was really big for players to have, which to me makes no sense because if you don't have a jersey covering your stomach and you get hit it's just going to hurt a lot more um pretty with potential lacerations and um that was like you know and actually now in the nfl that's not even allowed uh, a famous player uh running back for dallas cowboys ezekiel elliott in college he would wear he would tuck in his jersey as a crop top and he when he actually was drafted into the nfl this was just a few years ago when he was drafted um his his tuxedo the shirt was crop top. Oh my gosh. Um, oh, wow. And so, yeah. And so, um, and it's really like anytime I see that, it's to me, it's just, it's a classic 80s look, you know, whether it's a crop top jersey, it's, you know, your, I can't think of the right term, but you're basically your Daisy Duke booty shorts that would have, you know, in the NBA. Um, I don't, I guess for better movement, I guess, but it's just when I saw, you know, it, it's funny though to me. And then he also has, I think it looks like a mullet, but I don't know. Somebody may, somebody else may think of a different. But I think Johnny Depp looks like he has a mullet. Yeah, the way Johnny Depp's hair, that, that that's like a popular style back. Uh, uh, the, the, this film was you know, filmed in 1984. Yeah, definitely a big style back then. I, I love the whole. I love all of it, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting though because like this film's filmed in 1984. 
this actually like uh, canon wise, this takes place in 1981. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so, so we open the movie up, and you know, we see Freddie making his iconic glove. I love that it shows him like putting the blades in the gloves and everything, and, and actually showing how homemade it, how homemade his glove really is. Yes. The scene is so cool. It starts the movie out with just that atmosphere, you know, and uh, yeah. I wonder now that I'm thinking back on this scene, I wonder if this was inspiration for uh, the beginning of uh, Terrifier when Art the Clown's getting ready. Yeah, I, you know, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Uh, it, it could be. You never know. Uh, if I'm uh, if I'm not mistaken, the knives in the gloves. The inspiration behind that was Animal Claws. Like uh, uh, Wes Craven said, he was thinking he was trying to. Th- he didn't want he didn't want Freddy to have like a typical like knife like Michael Myers or a machete like Jason. Uh, he wanted him to kind of stand out, and he was trying to think of you know what would one of the first weapons you know humans had to deal with, and he 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 thought of Animal Claws. And uh, that's where he came up with that. And he was also like, I think uh, late at night he was watching infomercials and he saw like, you know, infomercials on knives and stuff. And, uh, and so all that kind of came together, came together on that way. Okay. I was actually reading about that. Um, the first time that, that Robert England put on the glove, he had cut himself. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna mention that. Yeah. First time he put on a glove, he actually did cut himself. Oh my gosh! <laughs> uh, so, so like after that part, you know, we see Tina, who is played by, is it Amanda Wise or or Amanda Wiss? I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I always butcher names. We're just gonna say Amanda Wise, but I apologize beforehand if that's not what it is. So uh, Tina, played by Amanda Wise, and she's you know she's in she's in a nightmare because I mean first of all she's in a bowler room and. She's in a nightgown and there's a sheep, so you can definitely tell this isn't the real world <laughs> at all. Uh, and she's being chased by you know a disfigured man, uh, you know, w- w- with uh, gloves on his hand, who you know we all know is Freddy Krueger. Uh, fun fact: he says Freddy one time. The movie has him credited as Fred Krueger. When I was watching the movie, I was watching it with subtitles, and the subtitles even say Freddy whenever he talks, but he's actually credited as Fred Krueger. I don't know why he's not credited as – why it's not Freddy, but it's just Fred Krueger. Yeah, I think that's how it kind of started, and I think, like, Freddy just kind of stuck eventually, and that was just, like, more his main, you know. Yeah, Freddy to me sounds so much better because I I mentioned this on the the roundtable discussion we did with everybody on the network for that one episode of The Lane Shift. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, can you imagine if they would have kept just Fred Krueger? Can you imagine Jason versus Fred? <laughs> like that just sounds that just wow. <laughs> that would have been the shits. That, that just that sounds completely weird. They might as well just change Jason to Jack. We would have Jack versus Fred. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so like you know, uh, Tina's being chased by Freddie, and and they're in a boiler room. This part is where I get a little confused because I think I missed something. 
because Freddy slash her in this scene, or does she just wake up with slash? I know I know she has slashes on her gown when she wakes up, but does he actually like attack her in the scene? I, I thought he just kind of like was was behind her and uh, like kind of scared her, and then she woke up. Yeah, it could be um, an off the screen slash, maybe. Yeah. Like. yeah, I think he just want to. I think it was just kind of a scene to kind of introduce it. I don't think he physically on screen did it. Um, yeah, because like, I remember like I saw where she like woke up with the like because after she wakes up from her dream, you see the slashes on her nightgown. And I was looking, I was like, I don't remember him slashing her in the opening scene. So I don't know if I missed something or if it was just kind of a off the screen thing. Yeah. But uh, it was interesting though. So this boiler room and like the bullet room that you see throughout the movie, uh, they're actually used in a real bullet room. Uh, it was the bullet room of I want to say the police department of the city that they filmed in in L.A. Uh, but it, it, after filming, it was actually condemned. The whole building was condemned because the bullet room had as had asbestos. Oh wow. Yeah, but like they actually did film in an actual boiler room. I wanted to bring up something that uh, I wonder if, if maybe y'all picked up on this too. Remember when you watched it for the first time? Did it seem like Tina was going to be, you know, the main character? It like it, to me, it, like it was kind of a, it kind of threw me off. But when yeah, it was the I thought Tina would end up being the main character because she's the one you first see. Yeah, I, I can gather that too. Um... I'm trying to think back of like whenever I first saw it, but it's been so many years. So, but I mean, I can see how they, they almost made you think that for sure. I just realized something. What other movie starts off like this? Right. That's true. Yeah. Scream. Oh, (gasps) Oh, Oh, right. oh, I didn't even. Oh, it's, I'm glad you mentioned Scream, but uh, we'll get to it later. There's another scene that also has parallels to Scream, even though this movie came out beforehand. So, I mean, obviously, you know, Wes Craven, you know, the director behind. Um, yeah. You know, both of them. But just I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Like you see, I mean, and Scream is even worse because of I mean, I don't know if they worse, but I mean, when you see on the title card or not the title card, the the picture of Holly Berry, you're like, Holly Berry is a star, like, without a shadow of a doubt. And you see the beginning of the film, and all of a sudden, you know, boom, she get, you know, dies, like, right in the beginning. And same thing, you know, here with Tina, you see her, you think that, you know, especially, and when you compare the two, and you assume based on, you know, I'm not trying to say, you know, Heather Lingenkamp is, you know, is not as good looking as Amanda, but when you see the two, you're like, well, this, you know, like, she's probably going to be the star because she's a beautiful blonde woman. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I never think that. I did. Yeah, I'd, I'd never picked. Wow, that, that's I never picked up on that. That that definitely does kind of. I mean, it, it it it's nowhere near as you know iconic as Scream's opening, but it definitely I can see parallels to it. So after the she shows her mom, uh, her mom points out the mysterious slashes on her, the four slashes on her gown. We go to the, the next morning, and Tina is uh you know telling her. Her best friend uh, Nancy, who is played by Heather Lane Camp, uh, and her boyfriend uh, Glenn, who's played by Johnny Depp, and uh, she's telling them about the, the nightmare, and they're kind of consoling her. Tina ends up telling them that you know she wants them to stay over because she don't want to sleep alone, and so Nancy and Glenn stay at Tina's house, and uh, where Tina's uh, there with her boyfriend her boyfriend Rod 
and we end up uh, they end up getting woken up. Uh, Nancy and Glenn end up getting woken up because uh, Rod is screaming because uh, Tina is having a nightmare where this is like our first appearance of Freddy, and it's really a really awesome uh, visual where you know she sees him out in the alleyway. And uh, he has those like really long arms, and uh, the the gloves are kind of scraping the side of a uh, of like a shed. Oh my god, this part is so cool. <laughs> it's so creepy, but also like weird, like com- almost comical. But that's how you know it's gonna be like. Yes, he's terrifying, but he's also funny, and that's what draws me to Freddy personally. So those arms are so weird, and the way he runs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was gonna bring that up. Yeah, I think in uh, in James from Dead Meat said he runs like a drunk uncle running after niece or nephew. <laughs> <laughs> so true. And, oh man. And, and then he great. also does he also does another one of his uh one of another one of his awesome things where he chops off two of his fingers and squirts out like green liquid from it, and it's kind of just you know. You know, screwing around because he can pretty much do whatever he wants to himself. He's yeah. just in it, like he's just there and like he's trying to scare people with that at first. Um, and then as he gets closer, obviously he makes his moves, but he's just I don't know. This is great. This is like your first real intro to him, like yeah. like seeing him on screen. Right. So it's it's great. I, I don't know. He just he takes over so well. Yeah, and what's interesting about this is that Freddy in the, in, in the first Nightmare, they wanted him more portrayed as more of a silent type, like Jason and Michael. And, like, you know, we don't really get – and it's not till the sequels that we get the comical, you know, smart-ass Freddy that we've all grown to love. Right. This one's <laughs> a lot more sinister for sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, Heather's having that Nightmare, and then at, uh, at some point uh, Freddy ends up in the Nightmare under the covers with Tina, and he's attacking her. And she's thrashing around in the bed, and Rod ends up waking up, and he sees that Tina's thrashed around the bed, and he throws over the sheets, and he sees that you know she's kind of getting attacked by somebody, but that's there, but that he, that he can't see. Uh, all of a sudden, her top opens up, and these slash marks uh, just appear on, a che- on, her, on her chest, and then she ends up getting in like one of the most uh, awesome scenes ever. She like gets drug up the ceiling. And there's just you know blood all over the ceiling from where her body's being dragged by Freddie and stuff. Like like can you imagine like putting yourself in Rod's situation? Like oh my god, like, what are you thinking? Like how is this possible? Oh, <laughs> like you just saw slash bars just appear and now somebody's just being drug up the wall up to the ceiling. <laughs> That'd be terrifying because you can't help her and it's like yeah. you don't know what the hell's happening. Yeah, I mean, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, isn't wasn't this um, the production that they had built the set upside down? It was like a revolving room, apparently. Yeah, it was a revolving room. The, okay. Uh, yeah. It's pretty cool, too. Yeah, it was upside down. They like they had to nail down the furniture and the camera and everything. Wow. Yeah. And at, at one point uh, during the film, and Amanda Wise, uh, she got like really terrified because, you know, it seemed to her like she was falling and she like had to, she like freaked out and thought she was going to fall. And Wes Craven had to get up there and like he was just, you know, had, he calmed her down and he was real calm about it and showed her that, you know, hey, I'm standing here. You know, if I'm standing here, you know, you're not going to fall. 
and, and that's how he was. So, so then that's able to get her under control and, and able to finish the scene. Yeah. And I'm trying not to, hopefully I'm not scattering this, but the other issue with this, with this production um, where the revolving room and it's in, I remember seeing it in the, the documentary, uh, never sleep again, but something happened where like the room got like, was it flooded the revolving room and that potentially, and they had like this mass panic because they were afraid of like things that were going to like electrocution, things that were going to be destroyed. I, I remember read, hearing something about that. I know, and it's it's in the documentary, so um, I apologize for you know to our listeners for not having all the details. But if you see the documentary, it goes into this in depth. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it definitely tells. It goes really in depth about this. So Tina's dead, and you know Rod seeing this, he 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 flees, and then Nancy and Glenn, uh, you know, run upstairs and they find her all you know bloodied and dead. The next day, Rod is he's actually arrested because. Nancy, uh, Nancy's mom doesn't want her to go to school, but she ends up going to school. And Nancy's dad actually has like a trap set up where Rod had jumped out of the bushes to talk to, talk to try and talk to Nancy, and he already had it set up. And there was already cops there waiting on him, and so they ended up arresting Rod despite him, you know, saying that you know he didn't do it. Rod gets arrested, and we see Nancy. She's in class, and she ends up falling asleep. But we don't realize she falls asleep until we see what one of my favorite scenes, Tina in a body bag, all bloody, just out in the hall uh, <laughs> talk, uh, talking to her. And and, you know, she walks away and she's trying to get Nancy to follow her. But first of all, why would you follow someone in a bloody body bag <laughs> at all? I would never. I, that's terrifying. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess because she's dreaming, I guess, is the only logical explanation because I have some weird ass dreams where I know I would yeah. not do shit in real life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But so Nancy gets out of her desk. She walks out of the room and she sees then she sees Tina laying on the ground in the body bag, all bloodied. And she's being drugged by an unseen force. And once again, Nancy follows her. I don't, I don't understand why she's following her. <laughs> <laughs> Then she ends up in a boiler room, and it looks similar to the one we saw earlier in the movie. And she's being chased by Freddy. I think it's at this part. Freddy actually calls himself Freddy, doesn't he? I think so. I think this is I, the first time he actually says he says his name. Yeah. He, he also does this one awesome scene. Nancy first sees him. Freddy does that iconic scene where he like he puts his gloves up to his face and he has like one like bladed finger out. And Nancy says something about God, and Freddie says, this is God. I think that's actually in the beginning with um, Tina. Oh, is it? Okay. So the, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is the scene. This is the scene where I believe Freddie does the uh, across his, like, chest or stomach. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. yeah. 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 He cuts his chest open, and green goose comes out, and maggots all come out and stuff. That's pretty. That's pretty. pretty hilarious scene. Oh, yeah. Well, Nancy's in the boiler room and, you know, she's being chased by Freddie. And so she turns she's cornered and she just puts her arm on to a pop and it burns her and she wakes up and she's, you know, screaming in the classroom and stuff. And the the class gets her under control and she ends up leaving and walking outside and she looks down and she notices that her arm is burnt. And so this is like, you know, the first realization that, you know, what's happening in her dreams is actually happening in her life. 
this actually could have been much worse uh, as far as like I, a little insight on the production side. Yeah. Because um, has anybody ever touched like a hot pipe before? No. Well, no. I've burned my leg on like a motorcycle. Uh, yes. Thing, so I should... did the exact same thing when I oh was younger. God. I burned my knee, the lower, the bottom of my knee on my, uh, my grandma's boyfriend had a motorcycle oh. and it looked people ask me how to, you know, what was it like? I mean, it was one of the worst pains I ever had in my life, but the um, the burn looked like if you ever seen Lord Zed's head in Power Rangers, <laughs> that's what it looked like. It, it was all bubbled up, like so. This, like you know, you know, in realization, this would been one of the you know, this definitely would have woke her ass up because this is one of the most painful things you could have ever experienced getting burned on a hot pipe. Yeah. And it just in the movie, it just looked like a tiny little pink mark. Yeah, a little bitty mark on arm. <laughs> I know it's because of this though, because her doing this and the mark showing up is then when she really starts believing that Freddie is actually the one that was responsible for Tina's death. Right. So, so then we go to we see Nancy. She's at home and in you know. Once another iconic scene from this movie, she's in the bathtub and, you know, she falls. We see her falling asleep and we see the shot of the glove coming out, you know, uh, from the water in between her legs. And like, you know, that's that's like one of the most that's like one of the most iconic scenes in this movie to me. That's the one that like that always stands out. Yeah, I mean. In addition to this, I know that I believe it was either uh, McFarlane or NECA. They had actually made a collectible figurine of this scene. Yeah, yeah. Some years ago. I want to get it, but it's like you know extremely expensive because. Yeah, the the resale on that is ridiculously high. It's probably in the vicinity of three or four hundred dollars off the top of my head. Yeah. Wow. And uh, once again, in the in the in the in the Never Sleep Again documentary, they go over how they made this scene happen. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't it like a they had like a tank, and then there was a, a, a platform built under under it so that nancy was kind of in a tank there's a guy that has freddy's glove on and he's he's in a different part and he's you know sticking his hand up yeah they exactly right and then when you think about it you're like of course it has to be that like how the hell can you fit two people in a bathtub yeah and you know and, yeah. and a glove coming up like that so when they said it i was like yeah and you know and the other part of this when you look at the budget at the time you know a 1984 dollars which i'm assuming is Still to the day, probably somewhere in the vicinity of six to eight million. But for two million dollar budget to do some of the things they've done, like the revolving, you know, the revolving uh, room, as well as you know this particular scene in which you needed to make this look the way it did, um, man, I'm like they, I feel like they did a whole lot on a very small budget. Oh yeah. And then Nancy is nearly drowned in the tub. Uh, she's nearly drowned in the tub by Freddie, but. She uh, comes up for air and she screams for help and her, her mom runs up and she opens the door. But Nancy's already out of the tub and uh, is getting out. And, and, you know, Nancy kind of tells her that she was she just slipped and she was she almost slipped and fell. I, yeah. I like the parents are really dumb in this movie because, like, if someone's going to slip and fall, I don't think they'd be screaming for that long. And then you come in there like it was nothing. Her mom is honestly just an asshole anyway she, because she's just drunk the whole time. and She, she really is. She like, really is. Oh, I hate her. <laughs> one of the worst parts of this movie. <laughs> yeah, agreed. 
after this, Nancy starts depending on, you know, caffeine to stay awake, and she invites Glenn over to watch her sleep. And uh, so this is what I was talking about. Glenn sneaks in by sneaking in through her window. Did anyone else see the parallel to? Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, to yep. ski. Yeah, that sneak, makes sense now. Yep. yep. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, okay, okay. Okay, I see the parallels to Scream here. It's like, I like that Wes Craven like put a lot of stuff from Nightmare on Elm Street in the Scream. Yeah, me too. I don't know if it was intentional or what, but it's also, you know, it's also great how, you know, Skeet Ulrich got his role because of him you know, supposedly being similar to Johnny Depp. And they have, you know, similar scenes. Right. You know, Glenn's over there to watch her to to watch her sleep and Nancy starts dreaming and she starts she dreams that Freddie is going to Rod's cell in the jail and is gonna try to kill him. But uh Freddie ends up uh seeing Nancy and so he turns his attention towards her and uh Nancy runs r- runs away. Well Glenn has fallen asleep. Freddie is attacking Nancy in her bed and Right before he goes to attack her, Nancy's uh, alarm goes off, and so then she's awakened. She's awakened by that, and she ends up. She she really like gives Glenn a lot of shit for falling asleep. It's like it's like I used to stay up a lot when I was a teenager, like for way longer than I should, and it is very hard when you when when you go a couple when you go a day or you know almost a day without any sleep, and you know you have to stay awake for something, trying to stay awake. Oh, my God. Especially as we're getting older, it's harder and harder. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, the only time I was able to do this, and I was dumb, um, I had I was 18 years old, had just graduated high school, I started college, and I was working at the mall during uh, Christmas time, and I had stayed up for 36 straight hours uh, thanks, between Thanksgiving and Black Friday, you know, obviously doing Thanksgiving stuff, and then our mall was doing a local rocket shop in Eve. Where you know all stores are open at midnight, and then had to be at work at six in the morning. So like I was at the mall from midnight till like midnight Thanksgiving night until two thirty when my shift end on Black Friday, and I didn't go to bed till like you know four in the afternoon. And the for those of you who have never like experiencing like this, your body literally has like a complete shutdown. Like your your brain's not you have no cognitive function. Your knees are gonna give out. Like you, you get to a point where you're past tired and you're past exhaustion and your body is saying like, fuck you, you're an asshole. Like it's it's when the, it's a very, it's not like a, it's not like a pain thing. It's, it's literally like you have, you're like negative energy. Your body just feels like dirty and disgusting. Like it's so weird and like to go through this and it's something that probably, you know, anybody who's like cramming on test, you know, for tests and stuff like that, gone through something similar, but having to try to stay up, you know, what these people are doing, like, you know, not your, your body cannot be deprived of sleep. Like, and so, um, they, I think they do a, a you know, try to do a somewhat of a, a decent job showing like what happens when you don't, you know, you don't fall asleep and your body just has a complete shutdown. Yeah. So, um, after Nancy wakes up, she ends up, her and Glenn end up sneaking out and they're running off to the jail to check on Rod. And, you know, Nancy's trying to tell the policeman that, you know, she needs to check on, they need to check on Rod. 
and you know they're just really not having it. And while this is going on, Freddie is uh, wrapping a bed sheet around uh, Rod's neck like a noose, and he ends up hanging him. So and then before when they finally the the cops finally start you know listening to Nancy and run out there to check on Rod, he's he just got hung, and so he's dead. Uh, what's interesting is uh, this character, the, the guy who played Rod in the the documentary. There's a a scene uh, earlier on when Nancy first visited him in the in the jail where he's uh, he's kind of crying. That that actually wasn't for the scene. Uh, the actor said that he actually was crying like for real because he was just really really down. He actually like was on drugs during some of this, and he was just like really down about his life and everything. And Dr. Reed said he, he regrets like bringing that onto the set and everything, but he's in like a much better place now, and he's he's clean now. So like you know Rod's dead, and at Rod's funeral. The next day, Nancy's parents start to become worried because Nancy is telling them about her the, the nightmare she's been having about Freddie, and that she's describing it to them. And you can tell that you know they obviously know who she's talking about. Well, Marge, her mom, ends up taking her to a sleep disorder clinic, and he is here where Nancy ends up having you know in have another nightmare when she falls asleep. Uh, she gets attacked by Freddie, but she ends up this time. She ends up she's able to grab Freddie's fedora out of the dream world into reality. And uh, what's interesting in this scene is that when Nancy wakes up, she has like a little bit of gray in her, like she has some gray hair. Yeah, I thought, I thought that that was pretty crazy. The uh, nurse that's in this scene is actually Craven's uh, then wife. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Nancy grabbed the fedora and everything. You know, you think these people would be wondering, you know. Well, how the hell did you pull this fedora out of here? And she also had like <laughs> slash marks, you know, on her arm. Like yeah. these these people are just I swear. It's like how could you honestly not believe people at this point? No correlation at all, but it's like it's almost like I wonder if they have that all the adults have that like thing from it, you know, where all the like yeah. fucking like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Recognize the, yeah. that something's going on or something. It's yeah. almost like that almost. Yeah. After this, Nancy ends up talking to Glenn about all this, and she has a book about, you know, setting booby traps up in the house. Mm-hmm. And so she's, you know, she has a plan to trap the house and to pull Freddie from her dream and, and you know, try and finally get him once and for all. Well, while she's uh, barricading the house, uh, her mom reveals to her that. You know, Fred Fred Krueger was actually a sadistic child murderer that was released on a technicality, and then she, that was he was burned alive by by the parents living on the street, uh, seeking uh, justice for everything. Yep. And Nancy, you know, realizes that you know that's that's Krueger, and he desires you know revenge against the the parents. And uh, he. She ends up she she tries to uh, call Glenn, but he, he's falling asleep and his dad won't let her uh, talk to him. Then we get like one of the most another one of the most iconic scenes. You see Freddy's arm come out from the bed and pull him into the bed, and then this just geyser of blood just oh, shoots man. bed. It is absolutely insane to see. Uh, Craven actually like took inspiration from The Shining for this because you know the, of the scene with the elevator with all the blood everywhere. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah, he took inspiration for, for that for this scene, and uh, in, in I think 
this scene, the way that they did this scene, uh, this was an, uh, I think, yeah, this was an upside down set and they poured the gallons of blood down into the set. So they, they, they had one shot to get this to work. This is the scene out this. So this is where I got confused. This is the scene where, because of how it was done, it flooded the room because yeah. of the blood and they're afraid it was going to cause execution. Yeah. Um, and I would also, they, I read that they had used, um, like throughout the course of the film, like 500 gallons of fake blood. I'm yeah. pretty sure 498 of it was in the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that was that's a lot, and then we hear about that story about how, you know, they, they it flood, it, you know, flooded the room, and then it potentially was, you know, they're afraid of that, not just damaging equipment, but you know, electrocution. Like, you know, that's you know, they they did a lot, and um, it yeah. was definitely a, a very, I don't know if it, you know, when you look in the grand scheme of not just this, you know, I think all of the nightmares, I don't know where this ranks as far as. It's an iconic scene. I don't know how I feel about though about the kill, like I've, um, well, of of it. Well, what's interesting is that as you learn this in the documentary as well, uh, after this scene happens, there was another scene shot where Glenn's body floats out of the bed and is kind of uh, laid onto the bed afterwards. But they ended up cutting that. Oh. So. You know, so from what we see, all we can tell is that, you know, these people are when they realize that, you know, Glenn's dead and they go and uh, the cops and everything come and check. All they're seeing is just a room full of this massive blood with no explanation of what the hell happened. Wow. That is kind of lame. Like, why wouldn't they? I mean, I love this kill. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I think they should have at, like kept that in there. The movie's not super long, so they could have. Yeah. I it, mean, yeah. it's like ninety-one minutes, I think. Yeah, yeah. they could have yeah. kept it in there or something. Yeah, and like it, the the Never Sleep Again documentary sh- shows the scene. Like it, it's it was shot and and it shows it in the scene. Oh wow! I gotta yeah. check it out. It, it, it's pretty interesting, like how it was done. I think it would have looked cool to keep in the movie, but I don't know why they they cut it. See, it, it makes me wonder if if now, like if moving forward, like after that, because, you know, the, when they uh, when the cops and everything get in, into there, when they go in the room, you know, you, just, you hear them talk about how sick it looked and like how they're disgusted and, and like the corners, you know, puking in the bathroom. Since they filmed that scene moving forward, is that body like, you know, canon wise still on the bed or or is or is there no body and there's just blood everywhere? Huh. See, now you got me thinking. I'm yeah. like, what did I ever assume? Like, <laughs> now that I know it, I'm just like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, like, like, even when I rewatched it and everything, and before I watched the documentary, like, I always just assumed that they were seeing, like, a, a shit ton of blood cover the room. <laughs> yeah. And just, you know, left wondering what the hell happened to Glenn. Uh, right. It, it's funny. Uh, uh, I saw an interview Johnny Depp did where someone asked someone, it was talking to him about this movie and he said, yeah, he plays Glenn and not Marilyn Elm street. And then somebody asked like, well, well, what does he do in the movie? He said, and he said that he gets sucked. He gets sucked into a bed. It was a pretty sweet gig. (laughs) 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 It's great. Uh, So, you know, so Glenn's dead and everybody's over at the house, like I said, and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what the hell happened. And they even say that the corners in the bathroom puking. So obviously it was an awful, awful sight. Nancy calls 
uh, calls over there, and you know, I can't believe we didn't even mention it. Her dad's the lieutenant of the cop force. She calls, and he picks up the phone, and she tells him, you know, that hey, she's going to catch who did this, and she needs him to wake her up in exactly 20 minutes. So she ends up uh, going, and she puts her 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 mom to bed, and she starts rigging booby traps all around the house. Like, but she she really rigged this place up like really good. Like, uh, man, her, her and her and Kevin McAllister, that they could, she could. I'd, I'd hate to run into a house that these two trapped up. <laughs> she goes to sleep, and you know, Freddie attacks her, and she grabs Freddie out of the dream world, and she brings he, he she brings Freddie into the real world. Well, the the traps, you know, obviously affect Kruger. And uh, Nancy, uh, like I think one of them, uh, there's like a, there's some kind of like ha- uh, like a sledgehammer thing above a door that ends up hitting Freddie. I thought that that one was pretty interesting. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, it like hits him and then he like falls off the stairs and then like uh, when he falls off off of the balcony of the stairs, he hits the ground and uh, I think he hits, uh, I think he hits a TV. That ends up causing a fire and setting him on fire, and then yeah, uh, yeah then he falls down, uh, some uh, down into the basement where Nancy ends up lighting him on fire again, and then uh, Nancy ends up running to the door for help, and then the uh, police arrive and they find that uh, you know Freddy Krueger's not in the basement, and I love this this scene because you can see like footprints. <laughs> With fire in the footprints, like leading from the basement all the way upstairs. Yes, and I and you know what annoyed me about this whole ending like sequence is that fucking poor Nancy man, like yeah. her mom's drunk, whatever, and then like her dad, they aren't listening to her. She's like screaming. She's like, you know, my dad is over there. Can you please get him? Whatever. Like I need him to come home. Blah blah blah. And like, oh my god, that always bothered me. Like her parents are so negligent. <laughs> They are. Well, the other thing too is that in the in this film, there's a point where she after she starts acting out, and I don't remember what part, but it was after she already figured out it was Freddie and she was escaping. It was definitely after you know she went to visit Rod and you know where he died in prison, where they put bars in all the windows. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know throughout this whole scene where like Freddie's chasing her, she can't get out of the house because you know the door is locked from the inside, and then like you know the bars around the window so she can't escape him uh what exactly. those two is before she before she pulled him out of the there another iconic scene before she pulls him out of the dream world you know Freddie's chasing her throughout the you know dream house and she's um she's trying to climb through the steps and that's where you have the melting steps yeah yeah oh and, yeah uh, and that was made with the about pancake, pancake batter uh oatmeal and I, I can't remember if it was glue or if it was something else um but when i heard about that again it's just one of those interesting things that you hear about you know behind the scenes you know production i would never would have thought it'd be like well we need to do this scene i would have been like well just put a hole and put like paint in it but it's just you know the fact that they use pancake mix oatmeal and i said i think it was glue um maybe it was also with water i thought was kind of interesting that's cool i love that i never knew that that's really cool Speaking of the the fire, if you watch the documentary, um, I, I can't remember the guy's name who who does this part, but he did all this in one take. 
So Nancy and her dad, uh, Don, uh, they run upstairs uh, and they find, you know, Freddy Krueger on fire, smothering uh, Marge in the bedroom. And Don ends up uh, putting out the fire. But um, uh, Marge is like a like a charred like skeleton. And she like just kind of vanishes into the bed along with Freddy. After this, Don leaves the room and Nancy turns her back. And because she knows Freddie's going to come out of the bed and Freddie comes out of the bed behind Nancy. And that's when Nancy realizes that, you know, Kruger gets his powers from the fear from his victims. So she just calmly tells him that, you know, she takes back all the powers she's given him and she turns her back to him. And then uh, Freddie lunges at her to attack her and he just kind of evaporates and disappears. Yeah, and that's the end of Freddy, or so we think. This whole ending scene is like a really great final girl scene because, like you know, as everybody knows, uh, you know Nancy uh, Nancy Thompson is like one of the best final girls in horror. Yes, agreed. Real brave of her. Can you imagine if like this wouldn't have worked? <laughs> Freddy would have stabbed her. <laughs> yeah. Poor Nancy. Then so now this part, this last part is really confusing, and I'll, I'll explain why. So after Freddy evaporates and everything. Nancy opens her front door and it's all, you know, it's a real bright and it's real bright and sunny. And that she's there and her mom's with her. They walk out onto the porch and Nancy sees Glenn's convertible pulls up and all of her friends are there. She hops in to go to school and uh, the top uh, comes over the, over the convertible and it's uh, red and green uh, stripes like, like, like Kruger, but you know, they can't see that, but, uh, but we can. Yeah. And all of a sudden the windows, roll up and and the doors lock and they're you know they don't know what what's going on and then the car starts driving down the road and there you see three three little girls jump open and you know chin the uh you know the, the iconic one two freddy's coming for you mm-hmm. they're doing that nursery rhyme and then we see nancy's mom you know waving by uh by the front door and then Freddy's <laughs> hand comes through the door window and grabs Marge and pulls her through the front door window in one of the worst scenes ever because <laughs> God dang this they uh, this prop is awful that they, they yeah so bad prop, <laughs> it's a blow up doll yeah yeah when she gets pulled through oh God it's so bad when she gets pulled through the window it looks I so mean, funny it looks I so wouldn't funny. say that they sh- I wouldn't say that they shit the bed but. I mean, yeah. they definitely, you know, they definitely sharded the bed, though. Like, yeah. this film, you know, <laughs> I mean, it, it, there's so much good in the film. And I think, you know, from beginning to end, it, it's, you know, it's it's very, it's very, very good film overall. And then there's a lot of iconic scenes. Yeah. But it's, it, I'm trying to think of, um, of another movie as a comparison. But it's like that, just that ending, though, is just like the direction yeah. they went with it is just. Well, I mean, I get the whole concept. You want to keep Freddy alive, but just, you know, the car scene, but especially, you know, the blow up doll through the door. Um, yeah, I just really just is like, I think Lee's audience was like, oh, he's coming back. But damn, that sucked. Yeah. Well, Craven hates that. That was not Craven's idea at all. Robert Shea wanted that in the movie because he, he wanted there to be room for sequels. Uh, Craven actually laughed and and said, you know, what sequels? He didn't think there was going to be any sequels whatsoever to this. You know, boy, 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 boy was he wrong. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like Craven did not w- want this in the movie, but you know, Robert Shea wanted it in there, and so he you know let him do it. 
one thing we didn't talk about that I thought that I thought was really interesting. Uh, so it wasn't until we did that roundtable discussion, and I forgot who brought it up, but they brought up the fact that, and I, I never once noticed this until I, I rewatched it. Freddie only has red and green stripes on the front and back of his shirt, not on his arms in this movie. Oh yeah, yep. Also, like the whole reasoning for the red and green strap sweater is because Craven read a a study that said that humans, uh, the human eyesight, can't quite comprehend red and green like together, and it's naturally like unsettling to us, and so that's why his uh, sweater is red and green. That's interesting because it's like Christmas colors, though. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you think of Christmas, though, you think of happy things. So that's weird. Yeah. Oh, but, oh. like, I think the tones of the colors in the sweater are, like, darker. So, yeah, I can I can see. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, grittier. Yeah. Uh, a little fun fact, too. Uh, so I, I, I can't remember which one. I think it's the little girl jump roping, actually jump, doing the jump rope. She's in there because she is the little girl of the the couple who owned the house that Tina lived in. And so, like, the house that they're jump roping outside, that's Nancy's house. I got two quick facts. Okay. Legend has it that the Freddy Nursery Rhyme was created by the then-boyfriend of Heather Camp. Yeah. The, wow. the second one is if because of, and I'll say this, is because of the final shot of her mom being pulled through the door. This is the only Nightmare film where the iconic red door is blue. Yeah. All the other films, all the way through, you know, Freddy versus, you know, Jason, it's a red door. Also, Glenn's convertible is red. In the other ones, the door is red and the convertible is blue. The final audition for Heather Langenkamp when she got Nancy Thompson took place on Friday the 13th, 1981. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, That's well, great. Not 1981, but 1984. But yeah, it took place on Friday the 13th. I thought that was awesome. That's so cool. I was like, "That's that. That's great." I, I'm um, it's, I'm reading a bunch of different things that you know that surround the film, and some you know people have these ideas. Um, someone put posted this, and I thought it was funny. It says after Glenn, who's played by Johnny Depp, is pulled into his bed by Freddy, gallons and gallons of blood come spiraling up out of his out of the bed and cover the entire room. Humans do not have this much blood in their bodies, but they also don't get dragged up walls and across ceilings or hanged by invisible forces. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was reading that. I just thought that was kind of funny. It's true, but it it is funny too. <laughs> Another when when Nancy's trying to stay awake, she's watching a movie and she's watching Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. Well, the reason for this is because I think it's during Hills Have Eyes. There's a reference to Evil Dead in that. So Wes Craven, you know, decided to let Evil Dead be in this movie is to pay tribute to that. But then also Sam Raimi also went ahead and paid it forward. In Evil Dead 2, uh, if you look, there's a scene where if you uh, look at the background, Freddy's glove is in the shed. <gasps> I need to rewatch that now. I just yep. watched that. <laughs> yep. I didn't even notice. Oh, man. You know, and that's going to lead me to this because I, I don't read often, but I had to read these. I had heard for a while there was a, an idea because New Line Cinema, you know, owns Freddy and I guess owned or still owns the character of Jason and also the Evil Dead franchise with Ash that they were talking about doing a film Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. And um, yes. obviously, 
obviously this doesn't come to fruition, but they did make two graphic novels called Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. And yeah. I actually bought them and read both of them. And I, and it was a really cool concept essentially about, um, you know, Freddy's trying to use, you know, the Necronomicon, which if I'm not mistaken, isn't the Necronomicon used in the actual Jason goes to hell movie he, uh, or a variation of it. Yeah. A variation um, of it is. Yeah. And we're, you know, basically that he's trying to use the Necronomicon to come back to life. And, you know, Ash obviously is being, you know, with the Necronomicon and, you know, that he perceived Jason to be a deadite. And, um, you know, there's a lot of twists and turns through the through the, the graphic novels. There's two of them. The second sequel, I can't remember the name of it because it, it has an extra tagline. It's just it's a really cool concept. And, you know, I freaking, you know, knowing that they have this these type of things um, like this where you're talking about, I definitely would love to see something happen, you know you know, somewhere before, you know, I, Bruce Campbell is on or with us or Robert England. Yeah. I've actually been talking about this. I don't know where I've stated it. I've stated it for the last week to different people. <laughs> I want to see Kane Hodder, Robert England and Bruce Campbell come back and do this. Um, Cause I know they're not getting any younger, uh, but yes, I agree. I haven't read the graphic novels. I absolutely need to get my hands on them because I would love to read them. Um, But I have been pushing for this idea for like weeks now because I need it. (laughs) So, you know, it's called a nightmare on Elm Street. Elm Street was actually like named after Elm Street in Wheaton, Illinois, where Wes Craven went to college. And Elm Street is also the street that JFK was assassinated on. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yep. Oof. Apparently, it took three hours to get to get in and out of the makeup for Robert England each day. Yeah, I'd say this. I I don't know where else I we're talking about makeup for another film. I mean, the these characters that do makeup, you know, with all the prosthetics and stuff, and they're for you know three, four, you know, another one's like you know Kane Hodder and the Hatchet, it's Victor Crawley. Man, so much power to these, you know, actors and actresses that do it because you cannot give me a sit still for three minutes, let alone three hours. <laughs> oh you yeah, know, especially you know if it's cold and you know it's. I remember you know on it's not even a close comparison, but we used to have a haunted house uh, or a haunted maze or whatever you'd want to call it. It was called uh, I think it was called Scream in the Dark, and it was put on through a local nonprofit organization and. You know, they reached out to students to be a part of it, to be characters. And I was, you know, a character in it uh, through a few different times. Uh, one, I had this giant prosthetic mask um, that was like a bat. And then another one, I played a guy, uh, like uh, a cornfield scarecrow with a chainsaw. And I played a, a fisherman that had his leg cut off by a um, a shark. And anytime I had to just put like makeup paint on, I, and having it on for three or four hours, I wanted to die. I can't imagine having, you know, the makeup and prosthetics that, you know, Freddie has in these films. I mean, it just seems unbearable to me. Yeah. Yeah. They go through a lot. I mean, like hours and hours. Um, it's it's incredible. I I have been in a few shows in high school and stuff like that, but it was never like makeup like this. It's just standard stage makeup 
But uh, even then, you know, uh, like I had to play a witch one time, so I had to get like a, a wart. Um, so, you know, it, it, it takes time and, and it's incredible that, you know, they sit through that long process and then they still are expected to get up and act as well on top of that. So it's a lot of definitely I agree with you. A lot of props to those guys. Um, if I could, I would be out there doing it myself, too. It's, that's that's the goal. But, uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. It's great. So at one point during the movie, Tina mentions to Nancy that a big earthquake may be coming, and that foreshadows what happens to Wes Craven's new nightmare when there are several earthquakes. <gasps> oh, my God. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's insane. That's, that's some really good stuff right there about Craven. The, the girl who played Tina, Amanda Wise, she said that the first Halloween after this came out, she was taken aback by how many trick-or-treaters came to her house dressed as Freddy. Like, she didn't realize that it was going to be that popular. And she told a few people that, you know, she played Tina, but they didn't believe her. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. Yeah, and then there's a, uh, you remember there's a scene where Nancy looks in a mirror and she says uh, she looks 20 years old. And she was actually 20 years old when she filmed the movie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's funny. I'm sure you all know this. The guy who came up with like the look for Freddy, you know, he based you know, most of it off of, of looking at pictures of uh, burn victims at uh, UCLA. But uh, he also was eating pizza at a restaurant and he was kind of just messing around with it. And he actually like made almost a, an identical look to how Freddy's face looks on the pizza. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> I, I can see that now that you say that, but like, I don't know. That freaks me. It kind of makes me laugh. That makes me think about number four, though. <laughs> Fucking yeah. meatball scene or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Craven actually wrote wrote the script for this in, in 1981, and he, it actually took three years for someone to finally pick it up. Yeah, I saw that, that it kept getting kind of pushed aside for a minute. You know, actually, real quick, as we go back to the the look of Freddie and the makeup, and I, I pose this question because, Kyle, you may have this on your notes. Um, I had read that Wes actually wanted Freddie to have a, a more uh, gory look where you actually could see, like, his teeth through, you know, like an opening in his jaw because he was burned so bad, like, the flesh would have been completely burned off. You could see parts of his skull. Um, he would have potentially, you know, like, boils and and with pus coming out and they had essentially told them like, listen, this is impossible. Like what you're asking for is, is not essentially feasible. Um, and that the only way we could potentially do something like that is if we had, you know, essentially use like, uh, like a puppet. And that's just, that's not a good look either. Yeah. Um, I mean, could you imagine, I mean, in your thoughts is Freddie's look, you know, would, do you like his look as it is, or could you imagine it to be even more, you know, horrific? This is the thing. Like, I love New Nightmare, but I, I, the makeup yeah. is still different in it, and I, I, I like the older, the older makeup. Yeah. Um, and like we said earlier, the fucking CGI bullshit from the remake is yeah. awful. I, there is something about the original makeup that is just it it works it works so well um yeah 
again, like my biggest draw to this character is his charisma, his one liners, you know, as well as his look. Um, yes, he terrifies people because it's something you can't escape. Like you're in your dreams and all that. But like, it, I think it's really honestly the comedy aspect because you know me, I'm a big comedy horror fan. So I think that's the reason that I really truly love Freddy. And then this this iconic makeup is, is so good. And I don't think I would have it any other way personally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what I think about when I heard that immediately, I, I think of um, Aaron Eckhart playing two face in the dark, in the dark night. Yeah. Because he has that jaw opening where, I mean, you could see it as he takes a shot. He takes a shot and, it, you know, the, the, the whiskey or whatever, you know, slides down. You could see, um, you know, if you look around his eyes, it looks like, you know, he's missing like, you know, his eyes very pronounced. And I mean, it's really his, you know, it looks like his, his skin is completely melted where it's just his, you know, skull potentially. But man, yeah. like when I see that, like, I don't like that look of of his two face in in dark Knight, i you know for me i had liked uh like tommy lee jones's two face and i feel the same with freddie where you know i think if you if you try to go more i just think it becomes um i would say potentially more of a nuisance where it becomes a distraction instead of in enhancing the character yeah yeah, or almost more. It, yes, he's a jokey character, but I feel like it would almost be more like it would look almost more like a joke. Like, a, like it honestly wouldn't be as scary personally. I don't think. My personal favorite look of Freddy, even though this isn't like one of my favorite uh, favorite ones, uh, is uh, the way he looked in Freddy vs. Jason. Yes, he looks great in that too. Yeah, I actually went back and I'm looking at a. Uh, the comparison between Robert England as Freddy and Jacob in the 2010 remake. Yeah. I guess I never paid attention, but fucking Christ, dude, he looks horrible in the remake. He does. Oh, like, it's so bad. I, I feel like it's a cross between a burn victim, Sloth from the Goonies, and um, <laughs> the CGI character of Emotep from the uh, the Mummy with Brandon Fraser. Oh my god. Oh, like I see pieces and all that. Like I, I just don't like it at all. Like it looks so bad. Yeah. I don't know what they were thinking, to be honest. I mean, obviously, you know, it's. I don't say you you have to get a different look, but you, you I mean, you kind of have to get a different look because it's a different character. I mean, his. Yeah. If you look at Robert England out of makeup and you look at the uh, Jackie Earl Haley out of makeup, I mean, they're. They have, you know, very two different distinct figures. I mean, in addition to that, uh, Jackie, uh, Freddie has, uh, Robert has a big head. Yeah. yeah. He has a very a long, I mean, uh, I don't know if the long is the right term, but he has a big forehead. And, um, and Jackie actually has a very small head. And I think that actually also, uh, plays a part to why the looks so different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it also, I mean, fucking throwing a, a a hairless sphinx cat in that too in his look, like I just, yeah, it just looks bad. <laughs> yep. But yeah, uh, yeah, that was Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, I hope everyone has enjoyed it. Uh, CC, I hope you've had a good time. Yes. Thank you, guys. 
I look forward to coming on the Scream Queens here soon. And for all of those who listen who didn't know, uh, Jr. recently was on was on the last episode of the Scream Queens where they ranked the Halloween movies. Yes, check it out. It's uh, hilarious and awesome. <laughs> yes, as we do here, we rank movies out of five. And for Nightmare on Street, I guess we'll do five Razor Gloves. I hate doing this because I always like. It seems like almost every movie we've done, besides a few, like I've given like perfect like scores out of. But I mean, <laughs> I really can't complain about anything about this, honestly, except maybe the ending. But I mean, even that wasn't enough to, uh, to kill the movie. I mean, it's kind of just out there, but it's kind of there to set up sequels. Uh, I, I give it five Razor Gloves out of five. Uh, I'm right there along with you. It's uh, one of my favorites. This and Scream are like my two yeah. big time guys right there. So uh, five out of five. Absolutely. Now for some of the sequels, I can't say the same, <laughs> but this one definitely. This is a very um, a character driven film as along with a very good you know plot point in the sense of that. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the timeline of horror films and I'm focusing specifically on the 70s and 80s. If if you look at you know those films and I'm gonna throw out some names um, like Halloween, like Alien, Phantasm, you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then going into the 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 80s with you know Prom Night, uh, Friday the 13th, My Bloody Valentine, Evil Dead, um, Poltergeist, and The Shining, with probably the exception of The Shining with Jack Nicholson as you know basically the the villain or slasher, the, you know, the antagonist of the film, Freddy's character, even though it, at, he hasn't developed into the full comedic, you know, Freddy, as we would know, but he's a very charismatic character. As I said, this in the beginning of the film, I think he, he, they really did a good, um, a good job creating a horror slasher film. That's different than previous ones like Halloween, the uh, text chase on massacre, and Friday the 13th. They made it its own. I think that the the uh, the plot point of, you know, this is something that you can't see. It happens in your dreams. You're not safe alive. You're not safe sleeping or awake. I think is, you know, creates a very interesting uh, horrific dynamic for viewers because I think that's why we love horror films is like, you know, it's, a, you know, it generates that what makes us fearful, what makes us scared. And what can get us to, you know, have that um, that freak out moment. And I, and I think for those reasons is why I, you know, I give it five, uh, five out of five. Once again, uh, we hope everybody has enjoyed this episode. Thank you all for listening. We're some last minute plugs. CC is from the Scream Queens. They're part of the Slashycast podcast network, as we are. And we also have a lot of friends on the network. I mean, honestly, just listen to every show on the network. It, they're all wonderful. Uh, I know there's a lot, but it, it, it's worth listening and, and going back and checking all checking all of them out. I agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually, I, I, for me, the fact that we're part of, and I said this before, like we're part of this, you know, the, um, the whole crew with, you know, like the Scream Queens and Dennis Santa Carla. I feel it makes me look better because I feel like I'm fucking dragging the rear up, and everybody else <laughs> makes me look better. So. I mean, I listen to those guys and I listen to, you know, those are my two of my favorite swim creams and Dennis and Clark. I'm like, these we're talking about some professionals, man. I'm a fucking amateur. I'm like, it's embarrassing. <laughs> I feel bad for Maria and, and uh, 
and Kyle, the fact that they brought me along. So thank you guys for making me look good and making me look like I, I belong in a league I, I certainly do not belong in. You guys are great. You belong here. Oh, this is our they community. Are great, though, <laughs> Maria and, and Kyle make me look better than I actually am. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have, you know, two oh, amazing, no. you know, colleagues. <laughs> as much as part of the family as we are and and, and, and like like cc said like we love everybody on the slash cast podcast network like, like yeah, i'm sure this is going to sound cliche but like it honestly feels like like a family we have our own discord chat and everything and we, we talk almost daily in it i play video games with with a majority of the people from different shows like almost daily like we all interact daily it's just a wonderful network to be a part of and we can't thank nick and riley enough for inviting us to be a part of it yes i forgot to mention at the start of the show but we're actually switching to weekly instead of our usual bi-weekly so starting next friday you know this is going to drop and then We'll have new episodes every Friday. Uh, our next episode after this one is going to be one of my favorites. It's, it's my favorite uh, Friday the 13th movie. It's We're doing Friday the 13th Part 7, The, the New Blood, and that's going to drop on Friday the 13th. So I'm, I'm very Woo. excited about that. I, I had to do that. Uh, I'm super excited uh, as well. I mean, obviously, as you call being our, our Jason guy, but this is my favorite Friday the 13th, too, because this is this is one of those few horror films I did not where. Know. Yeah, no, I love this one because this is one of the, you know, the few horror films where you actually see the antagonist, you know, the, you know, the, the massive monster. They met they meet their match. And I, I love and I, I love this one. Yes. So I can't wait till we get into this one. But yeah, this one is this one is my favorite one because of, oh, yeah. of the protagonist in it. It's also the the first appearance of Kane Hodder as Jason, who does a phenomenal job. I mean, we we'll get to that, you know, when we cover it. But yeah, I'm yeah. looking forward to this next I'm, one. I'm very excited about that. I uh, can't wait to watch it. It's a uh, next one on my list, actually. I, so. I, I can't wait for you to watch it. It's my absolute favorite. <laughs> I'll have to text you later and tell you how I like it. <laughs> oh, for sure, 100. Uh, percent Cece, anything you want to get out there before before we close it out? Um, just that you can follow us on Twitter at ScreamQueens85 and uh, definitely listen to these guys more. Go back to their past episodes. They're incredible. Um, I absolutely love these guys. And thank you again for letting me be on two episodes now and hopefully more to come in the future. Oh, yes. You're, you're always welcome. Well, with uh, that being said, thanks for listening. Tune in next week for Friday 13th, The New Blood. And with that, uh, we just want to say uh, Happy Halloween. I know this will be late saying it, but I'm still going to say it because I love today like more than anything. So mm-hmm. Happy Halloween, everyone. Uh, we hope you all have a great day. Everyone stay safe, stay creepy, and we'll see you next time. We must have bid you do. Goodbye and good night. <laughs>